Hello and welcome to the Oleaster podcast, the audible version of articles on oleaster.org. I am Devin Phillips, the author and your narrator. Without further ado, let's dive in. Stolen Valor and Womanly Courage Thoughts on Proverbs 31, verses 10 through 31. In honor of the holiday of Shavuot, beginning this year at sundown on Thursday, 25th May, and ending at nightfall on Saturday, 27th May, I pulled out these thoughts on Proverbs 31 and Ruth from the archives for your consideration. It is traditional to read the book of Ruth during Shavuot, and you can read more why that is in Ending Exile. But how does the book of Ruth relate to Proverbs 31? Below, I lay out my case. Happy Shavuot. And without further ado, here's Stolen Valor and Womanly Courage. After taking a very informal poll of my female friends, both Christian and Jewish, the quote, Proverbs 31 woman, or the Eshet Chayel, woman of valor, praised in Proverbs 31 verses 10 through 31, is met with mixed feelings at best. Who is this woman? Jewish husbands sing this acrostic poem over their wives as a blessing every Shabbat. And what evangelical women's retreat would be complete without a teaching on this ubiquitous passage? She is everywhere, and low-level resentment follows in her wake. But how has this woman of valor become such baggage to the population she's meant to praise? The Eshet Chayel's life sounds completely exhausting and out of reach to many women. If she's an ideal of godly femininity, or the embodiment of lady wisdom, or a model of the church, all of us are found desperately wanting. And if she is a mere ideal or abstraction, what are we to make of verses such as, Her husband is known at the gates, verse 23? Are we to understand that you fall short of this ideal if you're not married or to a politically connected man? Quote, Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all, end quote, verse 29. If she's an ideal inside King Solomon's head, of course she will surpass any real woman. It is the ultimate backhanded compliment to the entire female population. It is no small wonder that this passage is fraught with difficulties for its readers. To be perfectly honest, for the vast majority of my life, I haven't had any firm opinion about the woman of valor from Proverbs 31. I tend to give a wide berth to any hot-button topics in the Western Church, particularly subjects connected with manhood and womanhood. Firstly, I readily admit to not being sufficiently educated to add much to that specific conversation. Secondly, I feel that the attention given to male and female roles should be proportional to the attention the topic receives scripturally. The recent dialogue around maleness and femaleness seems to have lost all sense of that proportion. Lastly, I hope to value humility and obedience over some need to assert my rights. I rather aspire to the Syrophoenician woman's level of faith, which eschews any sense of entitlement. It, therefore, makes me a somewhat reluctant and poor advocate for groups that I am a member of myself. However, when I wrote an essay called Sisterhood of the Serpent Crushers about a group of women mentioned in Psalm 68, it did have a relatively I am woman, hear me roar kind of title. When I saw the essay received as such, I was a bit surprised. It had not been my intention to write an article from a, quote, feminist perspective, whatever that might be. What had been my intention primarily was to analyze the passage intertextually and secondarily to encourage women 
with a positive view of ennobled femininity straight from the scriptures. We are often told what women are not and what women should not do. And this is fair instruction, but perhaps not as helpful as it could be if counterbalanced by teaching on what women are and what they should aspire to do. So with a bit of fear and trembling, I turn to this Eshet Chayel passage in hopes that a fresh reading will encourage those who try to untangle the riddles set forth by King Solomon with particular appreciation of one woman's courage and how women, in particular, might follow her example. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance, to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and the riddles. Proverbs 1, verses 5 through 6. Her children rise up and call her blessed. My interest in the woman of valor was piqued when I listened to a teaching on her in light of the book of Ruth and Shavuot, that is, Pentecost. Rabbi David Foreman gave the talk to a group that had a firm handle on biblical Hebrew. In his teaching, Rabbi Foreman was arguing from the text that the Eshed Chayel of Proverbs 31 was a commentary on the story of Ruth by her great-great-grandson, King Solomon. Now, Rabbi Foreman is not the first person to make this connection between the woman described in Proverbs 31 to Ruth. The Hebrew phrase, Eshed Chayel, is only found in one other place in scriptures outside the book of Proverbs, in the book of Ruth. In Ruth chapter 3, verse 11, Boaz says to Ruth, I will do for you all you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are an Eshetchayel. Eshetchayel here is translated in the ESV as worthy woman. Also, in the Jewish canon, the book of Ruth immediately follows the book of Proverbs, and the placement is a compelling commentary on the connection between two stories. The phrase Eshet Chayel is rather compelling in its own right. Eshet means woman of or wife of, and Chayel, well, Chayel proves not to be such an easy word to translate, as evidenced by the range of English renderings. ESV says excellent wife, NIV wife of noble character, NLT virtuous and capable wife, KJV virtuous woman, OJB woman of valor, but it was the word chayel that first stopped me in my tracks. What is the word chayel in modern Hebrew, Rabbi Foreman asked his group. I knew the answer to this question. My mind immediately pulled up an image of an old worksheet from my first Hebrew language class. Chayel means soldier in modern Hebrew. What a distinctly unfeminine word. Had I never made this connection before? I sat at numerous Shabbat tables and heard Proverbs 31, 10 through 31 chanted or sung in Hebrew many, many times but never connected the Chayel of the Bible to the Chayel of modern Israel. A quick word study of biblical Hebrew term Chayel finds that overwhelming connotation, though not the only use, certainly, is martial. My next thought was to check the Septuagint. What term was used in the Greek? In Proverbs, the phrase was rendered Yanika Andrian, brave woman, more literally actually manly woman, highlighting the contrasting word pairing, though I wouldn't read too much into it beyond that. In Ruth, Eshitkael becomes Gnidiamios, that is, woman of power. Those first two words definitely set a tone. Maybe Solomon wishes to portray this woman as a domestic heroine, but will change his tune as the poem progresses. However, the very next line, verse 11, puts that hypothesis to rest. Betach ba'alev ba'ala. 
Vishlal lo yechzar. Betach balev ba'ala, the heart of her husband trusts her, is lovely and standard. But vishlal yo yechzar, the spoils of war or plunder are not lacking. We are back to our military metaphor. A few lines down in verse 15, we have vatitin teref levita. Or she provides food for her household. The word teref, translated in English here as food, actually has the sense of prey or a torn animal. How had we come from this valorous huntress introduced by King Solomon, who sounds like she just returned from feats of prowess on the battlefield, to the ESV's excellent wife? Perhaps we've fundamentally misunderstood both courage in its feminine sense and what makes an excellent wife, but I digress. The fierce and feminine aspects of the Eshet Chayel are not mutually exclusive to King Solomon because he has seen them exemplified in the person of his great-great-grandmother. But is Ruth merely an Eshet Chayel, one example of female strength well applied, or is she, in fact, the Eshet Chayel of her grandson's poem? If the poem is about a specific woman such as Ruth, many of the difficulties I mentioned in the introduction would be solved. Not many of us would bat an eye if a grandson said to his grandmother, many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. What if her husband sits at the gates isn't a requirement for a godly life, but perhaps a detail from this particular woman's story. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her, verse 28. We already know when a husband, Boaz, prays Ruth as an Eshet Chayel, but what if Proverbs 31 verses 10 through 31 is fulfilling the first part of that verse, with Ruth's great-great-grandson rising up and calling her Eshet Chayel also? A line-by-line analysis of the Eshet Chayel poem would yield the richest, most compelling argument that King Solomon is writing an ode to Ruth. But that is well beyond the scope of this article. Again, I highly recommend Rabbi Foreman's teaching. So for now, I would like to just take two of the lines from the Eshet Chayel riddle and treat them as commentary on the story of Ruth for your consideration. The Kindness of Redemption Betach balev ba'ala yo The heart of her husband trusts her and the spoils of war or plunder will not be lacking. Proverbs 31, 11. If Proverbs 31, verses 10 through 31 is talking about Ruth, it would be natural to assume the husband mentioned in verse 11 is Boaz, but that assumption might lead you to miss a key in this riddle. Boaz is not the only husband in the story. Ruth was first married to Mahlon, but he died almost as soon as he was introduced. What trust could Mahlon have in Ruth? What loot could he enjoy after death? The key is in the practice of Yibam, that is, the leveret marriage. For an Israelite man to die childless is a special kind of tragedy, because no one can carry forward his family name and inherit his property. His name is in danger of, quote, being blotted out of Israel, Deuteronomy 26, 6. The law makes a provision for this legal conundrum with the practice of Yibam, where a brother, a, quote, redeemer, of the deceased has the option to show kindness to his dead sibling by marrying his widow. Her firstborn son from that union will inherit the name and property of the first husband. Yibam is optional 
and requires a great deal of kindness from the Redeemer, who risks muddying the waters of his own legacy by marrying his brother's wife. The deceased is about as vulnerable as anyone can be, totally helpless and dependent on others to look after his interests, even when it conflicts with their own. Mahlon's trust in Ruth was fully vindicated when she, a foreigner to the laws of Israel, and who had more expedient options to secure her future, faithfully searched out a redeemer for her husband's name. In a way, Mahlon cheated death and was able to plunder his legacy, begetting a son from beyond the grave. With a bit of help from Boaz and Ruth, of course. Charm's Deceptive Power Shekev hafen vehevel hayofi Isha yarat Adonai hi tetelal Charm is a lie, and beauty mere breath. But a woman that fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Proverbs 31, verse 30. Imagine sitting at the dinner table on a Friday night, and your husband is singing, Sheker hachen vehevel hayofi, over you. That is to say, charm is a lie, and beauty mere breath. As much as I would hope to have my insecurities and vanity under control in this hypothetical moment, I think my feelings would be a tiny bit hurt. If I possess any charm or beauty, I would hope it to be delightful rather than worthless. But I don't think that this is primarily what King Solomon means for us to understand from this line. The key is in the word hen or charm, grace, favor. It is a word that crops up in the story of Ruth. The first time it appears is in chapter 2, verse 2, when Ruth says to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find chen. Now, according to the laws of Israel, this practice of gleaning was for the, quote, sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. Deuteronomy 24, verse 19. Ruth is all of those things. She is entirely qualified to glean. No favor, chen required. But Ruth has somehow made Chen a prerequisite. When she is well-treated and respected in Boaz's field later in chapter 2, she assumes it's because she's found Chen in Boaz's eyes. Why have I found Chen in your eyes that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner and a stranger? Verse 10. Boaz gently contradicts her by saying, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Verses 11 and 12. That is to say, quote, charm or favor has nothing to do with how I'm treating you. You are not a stranger to me. The power of your selfless acts of kindness and godly devotion show your true nature, and deserve support and reward. Though Boaz can see Ruth's identity and worth, Ruth still understands herself only as a pretty stranger. She answers, I have found Chen in your eyes, my lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. Verse 13. Is Chen the only kind of feminine power Ruth understands? That understanding is put to the chest in chapter 3, where it seems we will get a higher-stakes replay of the events of chapter 2. The first time around, Ruth makes a plan to charm the owner of the field she will be able to glean food. Naomi approves. 
This time around, Naomi seems to make a plan not only for Ruth to charm Boaz, but to seduce and manipulate him, forcing his hand to redeem Mahlon's legacy. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. And when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. Unquote. Ruth seems to approve and carries out this plan. The tension in the story is palpable. Boaz is a descendant of Tamar, who secured her dead husband's legacy through seduction. Ruth is a descendant of Lot, whose daughters secured their family legacy by manipulating their drunken father and incest. We know from chapter 2 that Ruth has far too high an opinion of the power of Cain. Things are not looking good. The moment of truth arrives when Boaz wakes up and asks, Who are you? Verse 9. Will the lie of charm prevail? No, thank God. Ruth answers simply and courageously, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Ruth understood what Boaz was trying to tell her in the previous chapter. Charm is a lie, and beauty mere breath. But a woman that fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Many women have acted valorously. Much more can be said about the connections between Eshet Chayel and Ruth. But I want to end this article with a couple of observations of King Solomon's conception of womanly courage. Masculine bravery is exemplified by sacrificing one's own comfort and safety to protect his community, family, and the vulnerable. This often is accomplished through confronting the villains who wish to exploit or harm those under his wings. Feminine courage is the same in many respects, but worked out in a different direction. Though no less fierce, feminine courage is less about confrontation and more about cooperation. Ruth clung to her mother-in-law. She sought out a redeemer for her dead husband's legacy. She honored those whose lives were bound to hers with kindness and loyalty. She protected their interests at great expense to herself. We often mistake feminine power for being rooted in charm, beauty, and seduction. Ruth herself started to make this mistake. But when push came to shove, Ruth chose the better thing, truthfulness and vulnerability. Ruth did not run roughshod over Boaz in her zeal to secure Mahlan's legacy. She did not attempt to so control the outcome of her plan that the end justified the means. Instead, she honorably presented her plan to Boaz and appealed to his kindness and the blessing of the Lord. Her ability to surrender the sureness of the outcome to protect the dignity of Boaz showed a particular kind of noble strength that leaves charm in the dust. There's much confusion surrounding what makes a valiant woman or an excellent wife in this day and age. Through the story of his great-great-grandmother, the wise King Solomon has extracted timeless principles that we would do well to ponder and model today. May we be counted among the many women who have acted valorously. This has been a recording of Stolen Valor and Womanly Courage from oleaster.org. All Bible quotations are from the English Standard Version unless otherwise specified. 
If you enjoyed listening, please feel free to read or listen to other articles at oleaster.org. Receive new content in your inbox by subscribing to the Substack or follow at Oleaster Branch on X or Instagram. Any and all feedback to this or other articles is welcome. If you have a question, comment, or correction, please feel free to email contact at oleaster.org. The music in this episode is Zion Train by Alexandra Simeonuk. Thank you for listening. Until next time, Maranatha.